three, two, one, roll the footage. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Simon Severino, your host. And today I'm super excited because he said yes. I wanted to have this guest on so badly. He is an author, speaker, and like me, he's an endurance athlete. And I have such a passion for endurance people. These are always, always interesting, deep people. And he is. He wrote a book that is so cool and that can help us run our businesses better, start hard conversations better. And I would say generally do the right things, which are mostly also the hard things, and do them first and embrace them. Um, welcome, everybody, David Richman. What's up, Simon? How are you? So excited to have you here because you are such a wonderful human being and you wrote a book that I want the whole world to know about. So tell us about your book. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, so my book is about, it's called The Cycle of Lives. It's uh, it's my latest book, and it's it, it the, the subtitle of it, Simon, is 15 People's Stories, 5,000 Miles, and the Journey Through the Emotional Chaos of Cancer. So the 15 people are, I interviewed 15 different people, doctors, patients, researchers, survivors, loved ones, and all different ages, all different types of cancer, all different emotional responses to the trauma. And I asked them um, what helped them or what hindered them from exploring the emotional side of things during their, their journey. So um, that usually was in relation to the traumas that they had earlier in life. So those are the 15 people. The 5,000 miles is um, once I was done interviewing everyone, which I did, Simon, for like two years, I interviewed everybody for a couple of years, get really, really, really personal and deep into their stories, their childhoods, you know, the issues they had, whatever. Um, and then I got on my bike and I did a solo 5,000 mile bike ride to go meet all of them for the first time. And then the emotional chaos of cancer, that's kind of like, it doesn't matter if you have a fear of cancer, if you had cancer, if you care for people with cancer, if you have a loved one, a friend or whatever, uh, there's just a lot of emotional chaos involved. And what I found is that most people are not equipped to have those very hard conversations. I mean, you said it just a minute ago, even at work, even in business, having hard conversations, man, it's, it's tough. It's tough to go into areas that, um, are difficult for us to navigate because I don't want to step on somebody's toes. I don't want to make them feel guilty. I don't want to sound like a jerk. There's a lot of reasons. And so oftentimes we don't have those hard conversations. Why did you pick the topic of cancer in the first place? Well, uh, it was probably a result of watching my sister um, go through terminal brain cancer and uh, I was, and you know this as an endurance athlete, but you've been an endurance athlete your whole life. I, I've been an endurance athlete only in my adult later life. So in my late 30s, I was a smoker. I was overweight. I was uh, 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 stressed out at work. I, I was um, unbelievably stressed out at home. 
and I just was not living a good life. I had four-year-old twins. Uh, we are kind of in a dangerous situation uh, domestically. So I had to get me and my twins out. And then I looked in the mirror, Simon, and I said, mm, man, you are overweight. You're you're stressed out. You're a smoker. You're not healthy. You're you're terrible. Like you got to start figuring out what you want to do in life. And so I started by saying, OK, I'm going to go run two minutes. Then I'm going to run a mile. Then I'm going to run three miles. And eventually, like maybe eight months later, I did my first Ironman. During the time, though, that that was happening. Yeah, that's that, that was fun. I've done like almost 20 since. So it's kind of ridiculous. But... I never think of fun when I think of an Ironman, but I, I'm with you. I hear you. Yeah, it's fun in, in certain ways. I mean, sometimes uh, uh, the hard work pays off. And even if it's just a, a, a cross of a finish line, it makes it fun. But during that time when my uh, when I was going through this down down a brand new path of my life, you know, um, and really making very big strides on who I wanted to become and how I wanted to interact with the world and whatever, I'm getting this kind of awakening and this optimism for my life ahead of me. At that same time, my sister said, "Hey, I have terminal brain cancer, and it's not gonna it's not gonna let me live very long." And she was married and two young kids and, you know, good life and the whole thing. But it was kind of like her journey was to the end of life. My journey at the same time was beginning. And so we had that, you know, very different experience at that time. And I just we had a lot of deep talks and a lot of um, we navigated a lot of that emotional chaos that comes with, you know, with cancer and especially with with a terminal cancer. And it just got me thinking um, why are people, some people good at talking about the emotional things and some people are not? And um, that's what made me want to write the book. Wow. And um, how did writing the book change you? Well, it changed me a, a lot because um, I, 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 like you, I, I managed a large business. Um, I had hundreds of employees and uh, some of them, I went to funerals with and weddings. And uh, I mean, we had very tragic things happen during the financial crisis. I had one of my employees um, uh, jump off the building and we had to navigate that difficult and as much difficult stuff as I had navigated as a boss, right? And as a friend and through life, just a horrible, man, I realized I have no idea what people are going through and what people have gone through. and. It's, it's shocking when you stop for a moment and you sit down and you talk to somebody in a real, authentic, listening, caring way. Um, they can open up to you and have the most amazing um, discussions about things you had no idea about. And so writing the book, not only did it teach me that um, people are really good at isolating when they go through trauma. They're really good at hiding it and just packing it away for later. Maybe later never comes, but they, uh, very few people deal with it in a very proactive, healthy way. And it made me realize, Simon, that, man, pe people have been through a lot and, and and it really affects their ability to have really deep connections with the people in their lives. And you you see this all the time. You You see a husband and a wife and then the husband wakes up one day and says, man, I don't even know you. 
and the wife wakes up one day and says, man, I don't even know you. Right. And then we we're close to our kids. And then, uh, uh, you know, in the, when they're a young adult, they do something where we're like, how in the world? Like how? Like who? Who is that person? Right. Or, you know, we just don't know. Or all of a sudden your grandmother sits you down and says, did I ever tell you about this thing? And this thing is the most traumatic thing ever. And you never knew about it your whole life. And so I, I just wanted to uncover things. Uh, about people that we could all relate to because who hasn't had traumatic times and if we can understand maybe a little bit deeper level that people are really sometimes dealing with a lot of trauma and a lot of residual effects and emotional um, you know residual effects of that um, then maybe it gives us a chance to connect with them in a in a more authentic way and you went all in, you interviewed 15 people in very deep, very deep conversations. And I want to hear what you have learned. The, the one thing of one of these 15 people that touched you most after one word from our sponsors. What if your business would run well, even when you are on vacation? Discover how 1,600 business owners have regained their freedom using the Strategy Sprint's blueprints how they enjoy living their dream and watching their business scale. Get the exact checklists they use to go from stressed to fulfilled using the Strategy Sprints method. Order your copy of Strategy Sprints 12 Ways to Accelerate Growth for an Agile Business on Amazon today. And if you love it, leave us a review. For more information, head over to strategysprints.com. The one thing that touched you most? Uh, well, I got to tell you, Simon, <clears throat> I think it is the thought behind the idea of you, you don't know what people are going through. Like, don't assume you know things. And you work in a business, I work in a business where we make quick decisions. And... Um, we know a lot, right? We, we, the things that we, the sandbox we play in, we really know it. And so it makes us make quick decisions. But when it comes to people, I just learned through this process that there's so much more behind the scene that you can't assume. I'll give you an example, Simon. <clears throat> there's a woman that I, I, I interviewed her husband and her sisters and her mom. And she was originally referred to me because uh, she had this amazing story, and um, one of the highlights of her story that it was told to me was that this woman was told by her husband of 25 years. Uh, she woke up out of a deep sleep, um, and the husband leaned in, and, and it was 3 o'clock in the morning, and he had just found out from the doctors that had called him that she was going to have to be wheeled into surgery to remove a grapefruit-sized tumor from her brain. And it was probably not going to go well. And he had to tell his wife what was going on. And when he told his wife what was going on, Simon, she cried tears of happiness. Happiness and joy from hearing that news. And I said, no, that's not. I mean, that's just stupid. It's not possible. It's not possible. How could anybody know that they might die in surgery and that they've got um, a very big tumor in their brain and that it could probably kill them in surgery. If not, it's going to kill them shortly after. And how could somebody have a happy response to that? 
and, and, and it made me think, and each one of the stories, Simon, had something like that, where it's, it's kind of like, I had no idea. Like, it's, I assume, like anybody would receive that, that, that it would be the worst thing in the world. But she was happy about it. And the reason that she was happy about it was because her and her husband had gone through a lot of difficult times. They even lost a child. They had uh, six six children, a beautiful marriage, beautiful life, very, very successful people. And over the years, she started to become angry and she started to become mean and she started getting crazy and she started fighting with everyone and she started not having a good time from day to day to day. And eventually it got so bad, Simon, that she said, okay, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to the mental hospital. I'm going to leave my husband. I'm going to leave all my kids behind. I'm going to check myself in. And that's the end of my life because I'm crazy. Now, when she was checked into the hospital, Simon, they did a bunch of tests on her and that's when they found the tumor. So here is a woman who for years, uh, for a couple of years, had been thinking she's going crazy and she's she's going to lose her family and she's lost her husband and all they went through and the kids and how much she loves her kids and the community and everything was being thrown away because she was going crazy. So crazy that she said, check me into the hospital and let me just die there. And then two days later, her husband wakes her up and says, Honey, I need to tell you, they're going to will you in for surgery because they got to remove this major tumor from your head. And she said, thank God it's cancer, right? It's not me. I'm not crazy. It's cancer. And it's like, wow, you never know what people are going through. You never know how what happens to them might affect them because you don't know the whole story. So I think long answer, Simon, but the answer to your question of what did you learn is that everybody has a story that you don't have any idea what's going on. So it's really important if you're trying to make deep connections with people, and we can't always do that with everyone, but if you're trying to make deep connections and have real human, authentic, heart-to-heart, you know, very uplifting, um, close relationships with people, you have to be in tune with the idea that there's a lot more behind there that we don't know. She was ready to give up her life and uh, for for in service of the whole family, and then this turnaround—that's so beautiful, and it's it's humbling, and it also reminds us that complex adaptive systems are not simple input-output uh, boxes, right? A human being has so many levels, and if we think we understand. We are probably so wrong, and it's a good reminder to, to stay aware, to listen, and to wait with our judgments, right? Even if we think we understand, maybe it's better to listen a second time, right? And also ask, ask questions, right? That's a good way to get to what somebody's feeling is to ask questions. Can I tell you another super quick story, Simon? One of my favorite people, he's become a very close friend. In fact, uh, he, he, uh, he's, done, he's done an Ironman and a couple of half Ironmans. He's going to do another Ironman later this year in Spain. And um, he's such a good friend. He's a wonderful man. But he's this uh, young guy, very uh, Latin a Puerto Rican macho guy. I'm never going to ask for help and I can take care of myself. I don't need anybody kind of guy. 
and he eventually uh, finds out what he thought was uh, just a pulled muscle turns out to be a huge sarcoma in his belly and he's got to have this thing removed and he basically has no chance to live none like the doctors are like you just you have no chance to live but somehow somehow he fights it through but he doesn't take help from anyone because he's too macho he's too, he's too much of a i don't need your help i'm not going to show weakness i'm not going to rely on anybody he takes himself to chemo he drives himself home and passes out on the driveway i mean it's unbelievable how he will not accept help and i'm talking to him about his story and trying to get deeper and deeper and deeper. And I find that the second person he ever trusted in life, the second person he ever trusted in life was the girlfriend that was with him when he was being wheeled in for surgery. But he never really told her what was going on because he's too macho. And when she found out what was going on, she said, I'm out of here, man. This is not my life. You are on your own, dude. I didn't sign up for this. Good luck. I'm out. And she literally walked out of the hospital never to be heard from again. That was the second person that he trusted. So how's he going to trust anybody after that? And I dig deeper and I dig deeper and I dig deeper. And I find the first person he ever trusted in his life, of course, was his mother. And when he was six, he walked in and his mother was, was in the middle of taking her own life. At six years old, he had to witness that. Now, I understand when he says, I'm not accepting help. When he says, I'm going to rely on me because I can't rely on anybody else. That there is a, a, a certain level of pain and a certain level of, of understanding as to why he needs to be so macho. Why he needs to be the only one to take care of himself. But his story is so beautiful because he learns through his survival of this cancer he learns how to finally rely on people and to believe that not everybody is going to abandon him and he learns how to love and he learns how to be loved and uh the cancer transformed him from this kind of angry distant macho guy to the most heart-centered warm wonderful man he works at the, the cancer center that took that took care of him and he's a finance guy he works in finance for the cancer center that took care of him he, he does a, a community outreach to the to the latino community he does this massive bike ride every year where they take uh they take a like a 400 mile bike ride to the state capitol to raise money for the cancer center every year and pick up a check from the governor i mean he's amazing and he did this huge transformation out of what could have been really bad circumstance and it makes me think when somebody says you know they're going through something or i think they're going through something and i go hey simon you need anything and you go no 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 i'm good M maybe there's a lot more behind it so another story but but just an idea simon of some of the things that i learned that there's that there's so much more behind the curtain i love it and i can resonate so much i had a mindset coach recently who said to me simon are you really allowing yourself to feel loved? Do you feel loved by the universe right now, by everything, whatever happens, do you feel loved? I couldn't say it. And you know, I have you know so many years of personal growth, exposure and work and meditation and whatever, yeah? And I, it's still hard for me to say, Yes, I feel loved by the universe right now. I can, you know, I can let myself fall. Somebody will pick me up. And so I, I can resonate that probably many people 
right now can resonate right with um if if you feel that the whole universe is holding you or if you feel that yeah you have to do your stuff and most people listening right now guess what type of person they are ceos and why they became ceos because they create something out of nothing and that's a force of nature right and uh, so it's good to have these humbling experiences and this reflective space so people this book is for all of us cycles of lives is the name of the book and uh, i think this is a this is a book for everybody there is another book that i read about somebody who has his wife oh it's ken wilber it's not just Mm -hmm. it's ken wilber and it was a very personal book about him i think losing losing his his partner his wife his yeah, wife yeah it was his yeah yep and that process, I and i was crying mm-hmm. i was crying it was so hard to read but at the same time i couldn't stop reading and then i was crying and reading and crying and reading wow the the hate you know the the ang- angry uh, powerless, uh, sad, uh, and in such an intensity, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, one of the things that I said uh, with each chapter, so each chapter is its own story. Uh, I'm not in those chapters cause I'm not part of their life story. Um, so the book is the 15 stories and in between each of the stories, is a very short narrative about my bike ride, people I met along the way, some of my emotions over losing my sister, that kind of stuff, right? But the, in each story, I kind of start each story, Simon, by saying uh, a little bit about the person. And then I say what their strongest positive emotion from cancer is and their strongest negative emotion from cancer. Mm. Because everybody has a different view. Uh, some people, um, they like I have a, a lady who had cancer five times, five different cancers over a 35 year period in her adult life. And she did not have negative reaction to having cancer. Could you imagine? Well, the reason, it's Simon, wrong. the reason oh, she yeah. never had a, the reason she never had a negative reaction to cancer was because she had a, the love of her life by her side the whole time. Her first cancer came like two months after she met the love of her life. And so she was very secure that uh, that they were going to be together, that she was going to have somebody there with her. But she had the strength, Simon, because right before that, before her first cancer, she had escaped a four-year, absolutely brutal, um, abusive relationship where she thought she was going to die. And if she felt if I could survive that, then who bring cancer, bring it on, man. I, I got no problem with that. So she never had it. And then I have other, other people I spoke to who only have the fear of cancer and the fear of cancer is crippling, right? Crippling. So I, that I think it's important to not judge or assume the way people are going to deal with things. Because when we when we say, oh, Simon, I'm really sorry that uh, to hear that your grandmother died. Oh, that must be horrible. And you're thinking to yourself, if you only knew my grandma, she was the meanest person in the world. She ruined my mom and my mom did everything she could to overcome what a terrible person my grandma was. And I'm so glad my grandma's dead. 
Now, I'm not suggesting that's your story, Simon, but how do I know that's not your story, right? And so how do I know that that that, that something is the worst thing ever or the best thing ever? I don't assume. What's the don't best assume. way for us to be with somebody who is terminally ill? Is it just being there, holding their hands? Well, not very many of the stories deal with death. Most of them deal with life and optimism and inspiration and how do we overcome or how do we deal with people who've overcome such tragic situations. And some of the stories are about death. And everyone that I speak to, Simon, um, from the book, all the people I've met since, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people I spoke to very intimately about this, that one regret that keeps coming up in that in that situation, if you're with somebody who's who's actually dying, is that they regret they didn't have deep enough discussions. And the reason that they don't have the deep enough discussions is because it's really hard. It's it's really, really hard. What do you say to someone who's dying? I mean, what can you say? Nothing. There's nothing you can say. But that's because we think that we are here to make it better for them or to make it easier to understand. We're not. And what we need to do is not say anything, but we need to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Tell me what's going on with you. How do you feel about this? How are you dealing with it? Have you talked to your, your loved ones? What are your friends saying to you? Are people giving you too much attention? Are they not giving you enough attention? Am I making you talk about too serious stuff? Do you want to talk more about the serious stuff? The, the thing is not to give answers and not to fix it and not to say you're sorry and not to give them at least, oh, I know you're dying, but at least you're here today. No, that doesn't work. At least doesn't work, right? Oh, right. You, 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 lost your, you lost your leg to cancer? Oh, well, at least you're still alive. No, no, at least. Don't say anything don't say sorry don't say at least don't assume just ask real questions and wow. and that's that's what i think is 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 what what i've heard the most is i wish i would i wish i would have got deeper how would i have done that and and all i can say is what i've learned is ask ask questions I'm reflecting right now in my role as a father, in my role as a husband, in my role as a CEO, if this is not generally the best way to approach people, like less of exactly what you said, like judging for them, judging about them, judging whatever, asking more powerful questions, asking more open questions and holding that space. You know, it's so smart that you just said that, Simon, because when I was in, I started in the financial services business. And when I sat down with a potential client, I brought a pad of paper and a pencil. I did not bring anything else. I didn't bring a solution. How could I know a solution? I didn't know what to tell them until I asked the question. And I didn't, I didn't ask the question and then immediately want give them the give them the solution. I asked the question and again and again and again. And you know this more than anyone. When they say no, they're not saying no for the reason that you think. 
oh no like uh is there do you have a hesitancy well i'm not sure about the price and then you don't defend the price what you say is you go if if price weren't the issue is there something else that 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 well i'm not sure simon that i could benefit as much as what you think okay so the price isn't the issue that you don't know if i can benefit if you can benefit from my services okay is that because you don't have the time or is that because you don't think i'm gonna take the time for you well you know what how how am i gonna know that you're gonna give me the right you keep uncovering more and more and more because you're asking the right questions i don't like i don't like people giving me solutions before they really uncover what i'm hiding what the smoke screen is you clear out the smoke you take down the silo you get me to where I really feel like I'm being heard, then we can then we can talk. Then we can talk about solutions. People, the last 30 seconds, please note down the minutes, rewind, re hear this 15 times, because that's a closing masterclass right there. But a good one, <laughs> a good one. There are not many good closing masterclasses out there. That was a good one, because it's it's true. It comes from the heart. And it's still, it's creating value, right? And you are creating more clarity and more clarity and more truth, but you are also helping to get somewhere and you are the expert where, where is better for them to be, but you are not pushing it. You are uncovering in a Socratic method, right? Going deeper, deeper, deeper into their truth, not yours, their truth. And you come with the pen and the paper. What a beautiful um, way to come in into a conversation. You come open. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that does apply to everything. I mean, when your kids, if your kid comes into the house crying, right? I know what do you have a little, you have a little six-year-old, right? Three-year-old, three-year-old and a six. We have six, three kids. Three, six, three and zero. Right. So, but one of them is six. So when your six-year-old comes into the house and they're crying, what do you do? Do you go, oh, here's how I fix it. No, you go, oh my God, what happened? And they go, oh, my knee. And you go, what happened? And they go, I fell. What happened? What were you doing? What did you fell? And then you ask them like 15 questions because you want to talk them through it and make them feel better. Like, I, okay, I, uh, right? you don't just give them the solution. You got to ask them questions. What happened? What happened? What happened? How do you feel? Oh my God. Well, tell me, tell me, tell me, right? I mean, well, we, I, I hug them directly before any question. I just hug them until they <laughs> calm down. I want to feel them. Well, you can't hug every potential client, but I, I agree with you. But 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 the important thing in life is always to ask questions, at, at, but yeah. real, but for real. But for yeah. Real. And I think the professional version of hugging is coming with a blank paper and the pen. That's the professional version, providing the space, the supportive space needed for the now. Yeah, and, and getting to know people, especially people you want to connect with, that you want to get a deeper level of connection with. It can happen in a in a two-minute interaction or it could happen after 20 years and finally something gets unlocked. But but I I believe, Simon, that the that um, at the end of our lives, if we're lucky enough to reflect back on the end of our lives, I feel that we're going to have uh, satisfaction and pride and joy over the deep relationships we've had, and we're going to regret 
two things, only the things we didn't do and the people that we didn't connect with that we, we hoped we could have. And that's it. And so, um, yeah, you know what? I mean, forming the deep connections with people, the only way to do it is, is to be authentic, is to ask hard questions, is to not assume that you know what's going on with them, um, but, but, but have a real heart-to-heart -heart listening, true conversation. And then that's where the magic connections made. Man, this is one of the episodes that I will hear again and again when I go running in the morning in nature. And I, I always want to listen to something that is truth and, and deep and, um, and challenges me and I can learn something from. So I will listen to this episode. Um, David, where can people get the book? Anywhere books are sold. Uh... You know, Simon, I know you know this. There's not a ton of money in books. I mean, some people sell a lot of books, but um, there's still not a ton of money in books. But I have a publisher who lets, who loves the idea that that 100% of the proceeds are going to charity. And so inside the book and on my website is listed the charities that are receiving the proceeds from anything that comes from the book. And it's different cancer centers and hospitals and whatever that were chosen by the book participants. And so books can be found anywhere, um, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, local bookstores, whatever. Uh, the Audible came out. I have 15 voice actors. Each each one did one of the chapters. It's amazing. Um, you know, I, I, I listen to audio books and podcasts when I run and bike. Um, if, if, if you listen to Audible, you're going to love it. It's really moving. Um, and then, like I said, anything uh, that comes in uh, goes right out to charity. So. All right. Hey, be careful when you bike. You should listen to the cars. <laughs> Dude, when I was biking 5,000 miles across the country, I did it in only 45 days. So uh, that's 120 miles a day. Point to point, I had to do it on the interstates. And if you ever biked on the interstates uh, in the States, Simon, the trucks are going 80 miles an hour, two feet away from you for 12 hours a day. Because when you're biking solo, uh, you can't bike, you can't bike like you, like you bike uh, on a road bike, you know, for five hours or something. I mean, when you're going 120 miles a day, it takes time because you got wind, you got issues, you, you're carrying all your gear and all this stuff. And man, I still have PTSD from the noise of cars going, zoom, zoom, zoom. You know, all day long, trucks, all they hear the bumps from the bumps, you know, behind you, and then they move. It's very traumatic. So I, I have to have uh, uh, earpods in because I can hear the traffic, but I don't want to hear it that loud because it still, it still gets me, man. Whatever helps you keep rolling, man. Please keep rolling, David. Thank you so much for sharing your journey, your wisdom, your book with us. Cycle of Lives, everybody. What a beautiful book. And um, David, where do you hang out where people can find you, the person? Well, me, the person, I hang out um, anywhere people are talking about creative writing, finance, um, cryptocurrencies, uh, you know, cooking. I'm everywhere, man. But really, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on all the social media outlets and, and uh, I have a, a website with a lot of good a lot of good content on it because I, I do quite a bit of public speaking about uh, mostly about fitness 
and about emotional uh, well-being um, from trauma. Like, how do we deal with that? So those are the two things that I, I talk most about. So I, I can be found anywhere. Usually, usually like you out on the trail somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and you said crypto. So I have to tell you, Bitcoin just during this interview went up three 3,000 and Ethereum is over 3,000 right now while we were speaking. Well, that's why I was going to suggest, you know, that that you got to you got to lobby to get Michael Saylor on, man. I think you could interview him very well. I love Michael Saylor, but I wouldn't interview him. You know why? He made a series of around 12 pieces and I have transcribed and re-listened to every single one. So whoever wants to listen to Michael Saylor, go to the podcast of Robert Breedlove. He made 12 episodes with Michael Saylor. And they are all better than history books, economics books, tech books combined. They are it's a little of, masterclass yeah. about the science of Bitcoin. I have transcribed them and, and created a blog post. I called it The Science of Bitcoin. It's on threadrisprints.com if you want to read it because it's so dense. You will have to reread it a couple of times. But mm. I think nobody can, and especially not me, can make a better interview out of that guy. Uh, I adore him. I would not interview right. you. <laughs> Unless well, you know, I can explain um, something new. Yeah, there's a there's a few other people that, that you can get on in that space. And I and I think um uh you know they're they're always they're always willing to talk, right? And 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 I love that because it, it's like uh when you know you have the right solution and you don't profit from just you all you want to do is share the information that you know and other people don't it's like ah like when you know the inside of something and you know how it works it's like man i just want to let people know and i love that about a lot of the crypto um uh, gurus out there a lot of the very educated people is all they want to do is let you know what's going on they just want to educate you they want to make you comfortable with it and I and I and I love that. So I I think uh, keep focusing on it and keep searching for for the right people because you'll get them on here for sure. Thank you so much, David, for being here. Everybody, cycle of lives. What a wonderful book! And David, thank you for this. And literally, keep rolling, man. <laughs> I will. What if your business would run well even when you are on vacation? Discover how 1,600 business owners have regained their freedom using the Strategy Sprint's blueprints. How they enjoy living their dream and watching their business scale. Get the exact checklists they use to go from stressed to fulfilled using the Strategy Sprint's method. Order your copy of Strategy Sprint's 12 Ways to Accelerate Growth for an Agile Business on Amazon today. And if you love it, leave us a review. For more information, head over to strategiesprints.com.